You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Rua Space Podcast, where we help you make space for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in your everyday life. I'm Phil, and I'm really glad that you've joined us for this interview episode today with Paul Pastor. Now, before we dive into the interview, I just want to say thank you to our Patreon supporters, the community that has come up and supports this ministry in all that we do from videos to blogs to podcasts to live events to courses to you know, yoga faith videos, all of it for $5 a month, you guys really help keep it going. And we are so grateful for that. We recently opened that Patreon page. And so for those of you who have not had a chance to check it out yet for that $5 a month, you not only help us continue to do what we're doing, but you also gain access to exclusive content blog articles. We do live events such as Lectio Divina Live where we can interact with our supporters and do the practice and discuss it together as well as a monthly episode called Fresh Insights where we share new research, things that we've discovered or experienced, new practices, new books, you name it. So if you have been blessed by Rua Space, we would encourage you to go over there and check out that Patreon page, which you can find the link in the description below. Also, we are changing our weekly podcast release day to Wednesday. Now, we have been doing this for on Fridays for more than a year, but we are shifting it to Wednesdays, which is today when we release this episode. Now, in today's episode, I am joined by a very special guest, Paul Pastor. Paul is an author and has received numerous awards for his writing. So he's written a number of books, but he came on the podcast today to specifically discuss The Face of the Deep, a book exploring the Holy Spirit. And I have to say, it is beautifully written, which is fitting because the Holy Spirit is a beautiful member of the Trinity that offers us love and comfort, that sustains us, that guides us. And so Paul's writing really pulls you in and vividly helps you picture and experience what he's talking about biblically, theologically, and through his own story. So in this episode, we discuss the Holy Spirit and Paul speaks just as poetically as he writes. And so you are brought into just this wonderful world that the Holy Spirit invites us to see, the beautiful creation, but also to see some of the ways that things are not right. And so we are invited to join the Spirit in reclaiming and recreating with this voice of dissent, as he calls it. We also talk about prophecy and the prophetic voice of speaking truth and some of those prophetic voices from the modern day, as well as God's amazing love for us. So this episode is a journey, my friends, and therefore I invite you to listen, to experience, and my prayer is that God, through the Holy Spirit, may bless you with new eyes to see, new ears to hear, and new ways to experience and join the Holy Spirit at work all around you. Paul, welcome to the Rua Space Podcast. It's an honor to have you on today. Phil, it's an honor to be here. It's great to great to see you and looking forward to talking. I read Face of the Deep, which is one of the books that you've written, and I just want to say to start that it is beautifully written. Like you mm. have a great style to your writing. Mm. Thank you. That's certainly the goal. Part of what I wanted to do in this book was uh, give the form of the book, the the type of beauty and intrigue and mystery 
uh, of the subject. And, you know, obviously you can't quite come close to that, but I did my best and I'm glad that came through. No doubt. You know, I feel like the Holy Spirit is sometimes left out when we talk about the Trinity. There's a lot about the Father and a lot about the Son, but... It turns out the Holy Spirit is pretty powerful and pretty beautiful and creative. And I think your book captured so many of those elements. What what drew you to the Holy Spirit and wanting to dive in and write about it and explore it? Man, what a great question. You know, it was a dissonance that I felt between what often passes for Christian spirituality, especially in more traditional church contexts, and my own experience of Christ and my own experience um, with encountering God, especially in creation. And the more I dug into the rich, rich Christian teaching about creation, about the imminence of God, the closeness that God keeps with creation, the more all paths kept seeming to lead back to the Spirit. You know, the Spirit's role throughout the Bible and throughout uh, Christian theology is um, at the intersections of, of where things meet. It's where God meets man. It's where the transcendent meets the imminent. It's where the deep things meet the things we touch every day. And that metaphor of the face of the deep, which of course comes from that line in the book of Genesis, right at the beginning of the Bible, where the Spirit's creative work is seen and like the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of these unformed chaotic waters, that image stuck with me. And I saw all of these ways in which I felt that image played out in my own life, where the spirit was hovering over something chaotic or confused, but also intriguing. Like there were depths that I um, couldn't quite see into, but it seemed like there was something good in there. And I wanted to explore them. And so that's what really this book became for me. It became a means of exploring my own faith, my own soul, uh, the doctrines that all Christians have essentially held for the entirety of the church, but have largely forgotten about in our day-to-day -day spiritual lives. It was a means of exploring that to better understand and reconcile what felt like distance between what um, I experienced in church and what I experienced in nature and culture. I, I love that the spirit appears right in the beginning. You know, I think we sometimes think of the spirit as like something that comes later with Jesus, but right there in Genesis, that hovering over that chaos and then that creative force. I I return to that a lot when my life gets chaotic and I feel mm. like there's disorder. I think, oh, <laughs> maybe the spirit is hovering. <laughs> I think that's just what we're supposed to do. And you're right. You know, the Old Testament, you know, the Hebrew scriptures are actually very full of the Spirit's presence and work. Uh, and the way that I divide the face of the deep, the book, is, uh, as you know, into these two sections, seven stars and seven lampstands. Seven stars being these seven kind of forgotten doctrines about the Spirit that uh, come largely from the Old Testament, and then the seven lampstands are seven from the New. So even though there is this incredible new thing that comes with the Messiah, with Jesus and with Pentecost, there is this new way that the Spirit seems to be relating in our day. 
um, than in ages past. And there's opportunity for that newness and there's joy in that newness. And like, yes, Pentecost was a new thing and a good thing. The work has always been there from the beginning. And that's a really important thing to remember because it speaks to the inherent goodness of the creation. Even though we as human beings mar things and mess them up all the time, the creation uh, keeps a memory of that good creator. And uh, we're able to see that from the very first pages of the Bible. So where, because we at Rua Space, you know, we love to get into the practices that people can engage like right here, right now. And I think if the spirit was hovering and is still hovering and still creating, like where do you see the spirit still creating today? Hmm. Yeah. So there's, I'd actually reframe that question just slightly into where is he creating and where's the spirit sustaining as well? Because there's also this action that's very, very biblical and historically Christian that talks about the sustaining work where maybe there's not a new thing being done right now, but it's by the spirit's work and action that those things which have been made are kept together. Mm. And that's just so intriguing to me. The idea that the very molecules in our bodies are held together by the active will of God, that God's word of creation has never ceased. It's still ringing and speaking and that there's this active sense in which we are preserved and sustained by the spirit. But there are also there are also these areas in our lives where um, where we do sense that perhaps something new is being done or something new is being made. Um, the ways that I look for that uh, actually come from the Apostle Paul's writing to the Galatians, the the old familiar fruit of the Spirit, and that's probably a list that some of your listeners memorized in like Sunday school or something. <laughs> but it's such a faithful way of upping your awareness of the Spirit's work. If you look around and you ask, where in my life right now is there love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and <laughs> meekness and self-control and all the rest, that whole beautiful list, it will lead you to the work of the Spirit. That is what happens when the Spirit is present. Uh, we often, though, are unable to see it. And so a spiritual discipline that is of incredible power in my own life is to ask and try to learn how to see better what the Spirit is already doing. And for me, I do that by trying to follow the love, trying to follow the joy, trying to follow the peace. It's so interesting. You walk outdoors you know, I've, I have the blessing of living in um, this massive coastal rainforest in Oregon. And you walk outdoors and you see, you walk up to uh, one or even 200 year old dug fir tree. And you think about how deep its roots go and how long it stood in that place. And it's not trying to be anything it's not. It's strong, it's deeply rooted, it's giving its gift to the world. And in that, tree as goofy and kind of hippy dippy as it sounds christian doctrine says that the spirit is present and sustaining it's helping it be itself and that tree becomes an act of love it becomes an expression of joy it becomes a bringer of peace and it becomes a way of actually encountering the uncreated god by means of creation 
And I love that because it means that just living in this rich, earthy, rooted, embodied way in the world can become a sanctifying act by becoming more connected, not less connected, more embodied. And just here, we get to know Christ better by means of the Spirit. Man, it means that nothing, there's nothing that's excluded potentially from the path of sanctification. Um, That's a long way of answering your question, but everything, everything can be that practice. Everything can be that call to holiness. Everything can be that invitation to know and be known by the spirit of life. I think that's a beautiful invitation when we own it, because that means we can encounter the Holy Spirit anywhere at any time. It's not just special set-aside places or times, which can have their place in their space, mm-hmm. right? We're not removing them sure. from those places either. But, <laughs> but I think you may have mentioned your book, even like cutting the grass can become a sacred act, right? <laughs> yeah, or, or these yeah. everyday activities. When Do you remember, was there a time when you started to notice that? Was there something that shifted or a reason it shifted? Oh, man, childhood. Uh, You know, I feel like most of adult life is trying to remember what it's like to be a kid. And the most mature spiritual lives that I've ever known, the most wise people, have this massive overlap with this kind of eternal youth that they've discovered inside them. And I I think that comes from God. I mean, you know... um, Man, eternity is, is eternally young as well as eternally old. And there's this this crazy sense of being deliciously outside of time when you are in the presence of um, of the creator. Uh, so childhood, you know, I grew up in a very uh, a very natural way is pretty rural for most of it and um, had a lot of free time, spent a lot of time outdoors, mostly by myself or with a good book and uh, there was a lot of loneliness and even some pain that was associated with that way of living. But the gift of it was that I didn't have a lot of these external influences or voices that were trying to interpret what I would experience uh, in creation. Instead, I was largely left to my own devices and to get to know the creator um, kind of in my gut before I really knew the creator in my head. Maybe I'll say it that way. I wasn't born into a Christian family originally. We came to faith a little later in my um, childhood. And uh, so my earliest memories are, uh, ironically enough, like being out in the sheep pasture, you raised sheep, um, and just feeling not alone. Like I was by myself, but I wasn't alone. And and like I was in the presence of someone. And um, I guess I've never quite forgotten that. I've never quite had to have my world re-enchanted because it was never fully disenchanted. And that was one of the that was one of the things that struck me when especially later I began my theological study was it shocked me a bit that there was such controversy around Oh, gosh, um, politicized, we would call it environmental ethics. But this idea that like creation was somehow not a place of good and holy abundance, that it wasn't like this green temple in which at every moment all the world was worshiping its creator. It struck me like there are actually people who who think it's 
bad somehow, who think it's wrong somehow, when it was only human sin that changes it. Um, creation bears our guilt. It doesn't have its own. Uh, as rough as it can be and bloody as it can be and wild as it can be, it's not evil. And um, so that sense of presence, I think, never never fully left. And that's, I count that one of the greatest blessings of my life. So now it, um, I have better language for it. I have a richer appreciation for it. I have um, more excitement. It's a man's knowledge rather than a boy's knowledge. But... Um, yeah, it's it's kind of where I've always met the spirit. So for some of us who maybe lost that childlike awe, maybe we just need to invite ourselves to be surprised again, to just simply enjoy again. I mean, I, I don't know about other people or you, but I feel like as as life goes on, things get more serious. And I think the mm-hmm. the idea of just enjoying a 200-year-old mm. tree can feel like, quote-unquote, a waste of time. And maybe that's mm. where we're missing some of the mm. most important stuff. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, it's easier, in some ways, it's easier to see it in the 200-year-old tree. It's easier to see it in the Grand Canyon. But my invitation for for all of us would be to discover it with what's right in front of us right now. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read Annie Dillard's uh, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, but it's this beautiful creative nonfiction meditation. I I believe it won the uh, Pulitzer Prize uh, on Tinker Creek, right? This, This creek in Virginia. And as you're reading it and her descriptions of water beetles and frogs and like the incredible blooming and breeding wild ecosystem of Tinker Creek. You're just drawn into these unbelievable natural descriptions. Well, Tinker Creek essentially is not this pristine mountain stream. It's actually more akin to like a drainage ditch in a like suburban (laughs) subdivision, right? And uh, some people, when they find that out, they are a little disappointed because they were expecting like this very different image of what Tinker Creek is or was because of the beauty of her writing. But I actually think it's remarkably the other way around. I'm so drawn to the book because she was able to see this in essentially what is a drainage ditch in a subdivision. And so no matter where we are, like it's easy for me. I I live in this beautiful natural place. People come from all over the world to see my backyard. Literally there's (laughs) waterfalls and basalt columns and the most incredible wildlife. Uh, It's it's a gorgeous place, the Columbia River Gorge. Literally gorgeous. It's in the name. Um, <laughs> but I believe that you could do the same thing with an apple and meditate on the inner core of an apple. I believe you could do the same thing by walking out into your backyard, no matter how sterile and suburban it is, and staring at a square foot patch of earth for an hour. And all of a sudden it comes alive for you. You begin to see these little dramas playing out among the grass blades, right? There's no aspect of creation that can't hold that wonder because it's it's what the spirit has done, right? So I think the problem, and this isn't just with our, uh, we're talking a lot about the natural world and that's certainly very important for me, but it's wider than that. It can, it can apply to our worship, it can apply to our personal relationships, it can apply to our politics or our church or any aspect of human life and endeavor. The problem fundamentally is that we 
don't have eyes to see and we don't have ears to hear what's actually in front of us. And we can't make that happen, right? Like as modern American people, we want to be like, okay, eyes, see, okay, ears, hear. But at the end of the day, it's revelation. It's a gift to be able to see. It's a gift to be able to hear. And all we can do is ask and try and put ourselves in situations and circumstances that are conducive. All we can do is try to become humble and say, Lord, give me your eyes. Lord, give me your ears. And that's something I think about a lot because, um, man, some of the harshest teachings of Christ relate to people who think they see, but they're blind to people who think they hear, but they're completely deaf. And that sense of self-deception is something that we all need to question in our lives. Are we seeing what's there? Are we hearing what's there? Are we too arrogant to encounter reality as it is? Um, so I think that uh, the spirit and the touch points that we have with the spirit, especially in nature, are one of the most immediate disciplines by which we can learn this skill that's applicable to every part of our life. Because if you can't see, if you can't truly see what's happening in your own backyard, how can you see what's truly happening in your family or in your own heart? Um, it's practice. It's learning to see. It's learning to hear. It's learning to be the type of soul that can encounter things as they are. Um, and uh, yeah, that's one of the great disciplines that I think the spirit calls us into. So as we gain the eyes to see and the ears to hear, we see this creative work of the spirit, this sustaining work of the spirit. But in your book, you also talk about descent. And I'd like to just read a quick thing you wrote. They said, there is no area of human endeavor from leading nations to sweeping streets that cannot be inspired as an active descent against the world as it is. And then mm. and then you went on to say the work <laughs> of our lives is reimagining the world with God. Mm. So so as we gain the eyes to see the beauty and the goodness, mm. can you also take us into descent and the fact yeah. that not everything is as it should be? Absolutely. And this is the sad contribution of humans because alone out of all of creation, uh, other than I think some specific unseen spirits, uh, we are able to act contrary to our nature, right? That's what sin is, is acting contrary to your nature. And um, when that happens, when we misuse and abuse the God-given invitation that we've been given to be servant leaders to the world. That's what the dominion is, is to be a servant leader to the world, to make this place better by our presence. When we move into our shadow uh, and live from out that shadow, we darken the world to exactly the same extent and in the same shape that we would be bringing light to it if we were walking in the spirit. And that's the effect of sin right? Where all of a sudden, um, the blessing we could have been turns into a curse for the world. What could have been cultivation and gift becomes exploitation and robbery. What could have been um, kindness sours into cruelty. 
And we see this play out. I mean, this is sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? What's the glory of God? Well, it's living as God lives. <laughs> it, we're back to the fruit of the Spirit. It's the love. It's the joy. It's the peace. We have fallen short of that, and we fall short of it every day. We screw things up at an absolutely royal level. And in that, that's where the descent comes in. Because we have become used, as a species, we have become used to living in sin, to living in our shadow. We have become so used to being less than what we were made to be, to living against our nature, that we have forgotten what it would even feel like to be different. And in that sense, uh, you know, the passage that you read from uh, is from the chapter, The Power of Prophets. The Spirit speaks through human beings who have this call to remember, who have this call to remember the original goodness, this call to remember the original love. And it gets harsh and it gets wild and it gets sharp and it gets confrontational. And this is where the calls for justice come and the calls for revolution come. Not a revolution of politics or government, but a revolution at the basic levels of the human heart. This is where Christ, the prophet, priest, and king walked among the, uh, the powers that be uh, of colonial imperialist Rome and of uh, complicit Judaistic religion. And he called them out and he told the truth always in love, but it was a withering love. It was a brutal love. Even now the ax is laid at the root of the trees, John preached. And that's the descent. Because when we are living in the spirit, when we are embracing our true nature, our very existence becomes an act that is offensive to a world system predicated upon sin. Our very existence and our very presence becomes a problem. <laughs> and this is what we mean when we speak of prophetic people, right? People who are gifts to the wider human community or the Christian community, they rankle by their presence. We don't want to hear what they have to say because it is inconvenient, because it hurts our wallet, because it means we might need to shop differently, because it means uh, Basil the Great said, um, you know, if you have extra clothes in your closet, you've stolen from the one who has nothing, right? And he says that, and I'm like, well, good grief, what does that mean? I've got an extra pair of shoes. Have I stolen something from a barefoot man? And there's a truth in which, yes, I have. And there's a truth in which, well, no, I sort of haven't. And we have to learn how to live in that space, right? But the call, the basic call is of saying, no, this doesn't have to be this way. We can find a better path. And it's what happens when, like I said, that love, that peace, that joy run up against um, that bent thing in myself and the bent thing in the world that we call sin. Because it's both individual and it's something way bigger than the individual. And when the spirit meets that, um, its hackles go up like the back hairs of a mother wolf. And it becomes ready to counter this thing that is contrary to love. In that case, that's what love looks like. It looks like confrontation. It looks like dissent. 
it's beautiful that we're invited to join in that descent that we aren't just seen as a problem and need to get tossed out but Mm. we are still i mean one of the lines i returned to from your book was and i think you were quoting someone but um it's good that you're here how wonderful (laughs) that you exist and joseph peeper yeah and it's wonderful that we exist, even though we've caused the problem, but we're invited to join the spirit and the movement of that reconciliation and redemption again. So what are some prophetic voices you hear today or that you see today? That's a really good question. Um, You know, voices like Wendell Berry come to mind. Uh, Wendell, for those who don't know his work, is a Kentucky farmer who has spoken out uh, from his Christian faith extensively on uh, American economic and agricultural practices and about the injustice there. And it might seem like sort of a niche issue, um, but for Barry, it becomes deeply spiritual. Uh, It becomes um, something that holds in community both the land and one's neighbor. I see, I see Wendell's voice is deeply prophetic. Um, I'm not a very political person. I'm a pretty staunch independent, but Representative John Lewis, I think, would, would be another person, someone who was very engaged in politics. Um, and, but no matter what side of the aisle you land on, I think you could find something compelling about his, uh, from all appearances, his deep integrity and his Christian witness. He grew up preaching to chickens on the family farm. And there was something about that childhood energy that never left him. Uh, That concept of making good trouble, I think, um, should unite American imagination. Again, no matter what your politics are, you should plan to make good trouble, good trouble, (laughs) um, by your presence in the world. Um, and then so many voices from the majority world as well, very simple voices, uh, unnamed voices, most of them, the Chinese house church pastor. What a remarkable prophetic witness of joy. Um, we could go we could go on and on, but uh, those are a few um, a few things that, a few types of people and people who come to mind. As we talk then about God loving the world and I, I think maybe I moved too quickly past the it's wonderful you are here piece because I think for some people sometimes, and this may seem like a reverse of the norm, but I sometimes think it's easier to love other people than to love ourselves <laughs> or to accept the fact that God loves us. And so at one point in your, and maybe I'm wrong on that, but I, I've experienced that sometimes for myself that uh, I don't always know if I love myself as God loves me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you talked about agape in the book and, uh, you know, this image of the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, well, let me just use this line where you say, we can be the place where the dove is pleased to perch. And that every Mm -hmm. second and moment that passes can be a place for the dove of heaven to roost on me if I'm willing to see those places to be those places. Mm -hmm. So how do we trust or accept or believe (laughs) 
that God loves us and does want to dwell on us, even mm-hmm. though sometimes the descent has been against us and what we've done. <laughs> mm, it's such a good question. And, you know, part of the context for that question uh, that I think is really sad is how much of Christendom has seems to not believe its own message uh, or functionally lives out something contrary to the teaching. Uh, for example, you'll hear this a lot in in songs, um, uh, you know, that he would, um, for such a worm as I, I think in the, that old hymn, right, that he would give his sacred head for such a worm as I. I'm quoting it from memory. It's probably wrong. But that concept that I'm a worm, whoa, that conflicts actually very strongly with the scriptural representation of um of who we are as god's children especially after being redeemed from by christ and even though there's um you know i'm in no way downplaying the nature of sin that's in all of us we have to have a robust and really horrific understanding of sin but what do we think redemption is what do we think the story of the prodigal is referencing what do we think um, about about the God who, like a father, wants to give good gifts, not to his worms, but to his children. And there's this patterning, I think, that's come from, it's largely cultural, especially in kind of Anglo cultures, um, this shame, this shame and guilt uh, message that ultimately comes down to, I think, a heavy dose of personal insecurity and it keeps us from hearing what the scripture is actually saying and what historic theology is saying, what the images of Christianity are saying. Um, I don't want to psychoanalyze it, but it's awfully messed up to me. So I think if we began to believe the deepest message of Christianity about Christians, especially in the writings of the Apostle Paul, if we really believed what we say we believe, the problem would largely go away. We keep focusing on a pre-redeemed identity, on how we were before we said yes to Jesus. Right? Um, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Okay, that's how it was. Do you think of yourself as a wretch right now? Well, you might do some wretched stuff, but I have something to points you to. The Apostle Paul says that you are unified with Christ, that your life is hid with Christ on high, that you right now have a portion of the inheritance of all things, that you actually own in Jesus the world, and that your down payment on that inheritance is the Holy Spirit. And that's so out of keeping with wretchedness. That's so out of keeping with all of this messaging that says you're worthless, you don't matter. You're a worm. No, that's not how God sees you. That's not how God treats you. That's not how the Spirit engages with you. It's a lie. And when we get stuck in that cycle and that pattern, we inevitably end up living like wretches, like worms, wallowing in our own stuff. And then we keep crying out to God for something God has already given himself. Um, So living into the richness of our identity in Jesus is one of the great gifts that a full embrace of the Spirit's reality, I think, can give us. But we have to take 
on faith that just like the voice Jesus heard in the river, you are my beloved son and you I'm well pleased, that that voice is speaking to us through Jesus, by means of Jesus, that we have an extension, complete 100% extension of that belovedness, that that same spirit that hovered over him hovers over us right now. And when we embrace that, I think it really has the capacity to change and empower our entire spiritual life for for good. Um, there's just nothing like it. Yeah. And I think as I'm thinking about this conversation now, I, I think maybe I went a little backwards, actually, because I see this now circling back to seeing the goodness of the world and if you can't see the goodness in yourself, it's probably going to be really hard <laughs> mm. to see the goodness yeah. in, in your enemy or in the creation or in something yeah. someone made. So why love it if you're not loved? Exactly. We're back to seeing and hearing, right? We don't ha- like the truth could be right in front of us. And if it's like Jesus says, if your eye is bad, right, you see things bad. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, but you know. He essentially says that if your eye is dark, the world will be dark. And we just miss that. Or we think that because we prayed the sinner's prayer, automatically now our eyes are clear. That's not the case. Um, Saul had the scales on his eyes after his encounter with Jesus. What makes us think that our hearts are different? What makes us think that we're better than Saul? Sometimes we need to be delivered of those things that are keeping us from seeing clearly, even after we've had the Christ encounter. Um, And I guess this book is sort of a stumbling attempt to describe what it's like when those scales shift a bit or when they fall off a bit and you actually see, wow, is this how I look? Is this how the world looks? Is this how you see me, Father? Because this is better than I was told. This is better than I imagined. It's still so true and so, in many ways, brutal and harsh and rough. And yet there's this goodness and there's this deep, resilient strength at the heart of it that feels like it's an invitation I could walk with for the remainder of my life. You know, your book was, so this question may not fit because of the structure of your book, but since you wrote it, you know, there's a lot of personal stories in it. There's a lot of stuff, you know, we're not going to have time to get to about the wilderness and, uh, you know, about uh, more about prophecy, just some beautiful Mm. things. But since you wrote it, maybe Mm. it wouldn't have fit into the structure, but have you learned or noticed or experienced something else where you say, Oh, I could have added that. This is something new. Even <laughs> since I, you know, became a quoting, maybe not expert, but since you wrote that, has there been something new that you would add? Oh, what a good question. You know, I wrote the first portions of the book uh, more than 10 years ago. And then, um, you know, the significant bulk of the book I wrote in 2015, about five years ago. Uh, the book originally released in 2016. Presently, the new edition that came out from David C. Cook again uh, is a, a repack uh, of that first edition. And um, so I have had a pretty fair amount of time to reflect upon uh, to reflect upon my journey since then. And what would I add? That's such a good question. Um, I I don't know that there are any major sections that I would add. I feel like I'm like I was very thorough, um, more thorough than 
than I really knew how to be uh, <laughs> at that point. But uh, what I would say is that returning to it five years later, I just believe it all more. Mm. Um, I believe it all more deeply. And I felt like, you know, I was believing it with everything I had then, but I feel like my capacity to believe it has grown. Um, I'll return sometimes and encounter something I've written uh, as if some, someone else wrote it because uh, there's enough space now in the distance. Like five years is enough to change a person into another version of themselves. And I'm like, oh, that's good. That's rich. That's true. That, that speaks to something in my life that's real. I'm glad that this happened. I'm glad that I wrote this. Um, and so what I guess I'd say and answer that question is I expect to keep adding experiences and, um, and footnotes to this for the remainder of my life, the types of, uh, the types of experiences that let me see and appreciate these truths in a new way, in a totally new way, a fresh way that lets me see and continually reinterpret what I mean by these things uh, in this new and fresh way. And in that sense, my hope for this written book is that it helps us encounter the book of our life in a new way, that as I live into the truths of this book, that I'm um, actually seeing the images of scripture and of theology sort of bleeding out into the world. Uh, that there's this blurring of the edges between what I believe and how I live until it's just a single, vibrant, pulsing experience that is sacred and that is holy and that is integrated, where there's no lines anymore between this is a Christian thing or this is a everyday life thing. It's all just part and parcel of living in the light of God, because um, I think that's the Christian vision of life. I think that's why Jesus came. I think that's the point of redemption, to bring us into that life that we might know, that we might have life and have it abundantly, right? Um, so to answer your question, I don't think there's any content I'd add, um, but the ways I'm experiencing it are continually deepening and continually growing. Uh, and that does good things for my heart. I'm glad about that. You know, the image that comes to mind is, I think it's C.S. Lewis, The Last Battle, where all the main heroes are, you know, meeting Aslan in eternity. And um, mm. there's this image, I believe, of go deeper, go further. Yeah. Like, yeah, there, yeah. there's a ever deepening invitation present there. And that eternity begins now, right? We get to continually <laughs> go deeper now. We don't have to wait somewhere. So um, yeah. it's a cool testimony to hear that it continues to go deeper for you. And, mm. you know, you, you finish your book with an invitation to come. Uh, mm. and, and I feel like that matches very well to say that it's a continual invitation just to go deeper with the spirit into all of these realities. So in light of that, as we come to the end of our time, is there an invitation, a word of mm -hmm. challenge, a word of encouragement that you could offer uh, to mm -hmm. those listening? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, I'd include myself in this. Um, I think daily we need to invite ourselves and challenge ourselves to just see and ask and knock. Um, those three words from Jesus, seek, ask and knock. Um are so powerful the more you think about it. It's really sad they've become kind of cliched in Christian circles uh, because I think they form a spiritual path. 
a yeah. path that is humble, a path that is aware, a path that is really connected with the world around us, um, and a path ultimately that looks fully to God in dependence and in humble acceptance of our place in things, um, not trying to be in charge, uh, but looking and taking action, taking initiative, being an active participant in our own sanctification, even while looking to Christ as the author and finisher of our faith. And so I would invite all of us, and myself included, to do that, to just come like wherever we are right now, just say, Spirit, I know I'm in your presence. There is no place that is not your presence. Um, will you help me seek? Will you help me ask? Will you help me knock? Um, those prayers are, in their simplicity, some of the most unbelievably powerful words we can utter if we utter them with sincerity. And it's my conviction and faith that God will answer them. Um, so I wish I had something sexier to say. I wish I had something that was snappier. But it's perfect. I feel like I'd be, I'd be trying to pull some wool over your eyes because I'm still working on those three things. I'm still working on the asking and the seeking and the knocking. And I expect to be doing that for probably most of the rest of my life. Um, but the moments where I feel like I'm doing it in sincerity, there's like this feeling of fit where the world clicks together all of a sudden and it's like finding something and it's like being given something and it's like having a door open to you. Um, and it's those moments that give me the encouragement and the fuel to say, you know, against all appearances sometimes, I think this path is real. I think this journey is real. Um, I would happily spend the rest of my life pursuing Jesus down this road um, because of those few glimpses where you really see, you really hear. Um, and it's that type of energy that, that I've tried to capture in a small way in the book and uh, I hope constitutes an invitation for everyone who encounters it. Amen to that. I, I think that is a perfect invitation to sum up. So, Paul, where can people find you? Where can they go deeper? Obviously, the book itself, we'll put links and such, but where else can people find your other work and connect with you online and such? Yeah, I'm sporadically active online. Um, I'm not very good at social media, so apologies in advance. But uh, you can follow me on Twitter. At Paul J. Pastor, that's where I do most of my stuff. Um, also, my website is probably the best way to keep up with me, uh, pauljpastor.com. I'd highly encourage you to go and sign up for the newsletter there. Uh, I promise I won't spam you, uh, but it's the best way to sort of stay in touch with what I'm doing and where I'm speaking and uh, new releases and stuff like that. Then besides The Face of the Deep, uh, there are a couple devotional books out called The Listening Day that are part of a larger series, uh, and they've been very well received. I'd love, love people to... Um, spend some time with them. They're these biblically based uh, daily devotions uh, that are available in this very beautiful packaging. Um, so yeah, check out the Listening Day series. Then, uh, you know, I do a lot of other work, uh, a lot of short form work online that's pretty easily available with a Google search. Um, um, 
I co-wrote a book with Luis Palau about his life and um, have other side projects, including a first volume of poetry coming out early next year um, from Whip and Stock titled Bower Lodge. So there's a lot of exciting things that are uh, coming down the pike there creatively and um, all in line with many of the principles that are found in the face of the deep. Well, Paul, your speech is just as poetic as your writing. So this was a treat. Uh, thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us to uh, talk about the Holy Spirit. Thanks for your books. Uh, I, I'm just really grateful for your time. Oh, absolutely, Phil. It's an honor to be here, and I hope we'll get the chance to do this again sometime. Hey friends, Phil here again. Before you go, I just want to say thank you again for joining us for this episode. I hope that you were blessed, challenged, and encouraged. I do highly recommend going and checking out Paul's book, The Face of the Deep, at the link below. Go check out his website, which is also in the description and the link below. And finally, friends, if you would like to help support us on Patreon and gain access to that really cool content and help really support this ministry, that link is also below. So friends, many blessings as you go forth and experience and join the Holy Spirit. Until next time, grace and peace be with you.